0: So good to be not. And parents, that goes unappreciated. The parents who practiced. And uh, how many parents have that song stuck in their head now, forever and ever? Amen. Awesome. That's good. That's a good song to have stuck in your head forever. Um, so here we are at Christmas Eve. The lead up of the expectation and anticipation of hope, peace, joy, and love. And the person that all those things described is Jesus. So. Uh, uh, this morning, uh, this is why we also light the Christ candle, it's really far away, the Christ candle, as we acknowledge that Jesus is who we have been waiting for. Oh, and we're just going to pretend that it's lit. I can't find the wick. Oh, no, maybe we'll just get, why don't I just hold the candle? I'm just kidding, so it's lit. Yeah, we're good. Oh, there we go. Awesome. Wow, yeah, let's... <laughs> Let's clap for my ability to light a candle. <laughs> Praise God. It's good. Um, we've been talking about the importance of a name, just how important the meanings of names are, especially in Scripture. And we see the power of a name, like, described by um, my daughter spoke, Rachel, and, and Cody led us off a series of, uh, of we understand. We identify tissue paper as Kleenex because the brand is greater than the product, right? Permanent marker we usually call Sharpie those same things, the meaning of names is powerful and effective. And as we've been um, learning about the names of Jesus, we just see that they're more than just the name, that there's power behind the name. And as we read Isaiah here one more time, we see the promise spoken uh, to a people in a time of chaos, war, and unrest. Uh, let's just call it just the storm of life. Uh, um, the promise was spoken, a promise that points to the person of Jesus who we are celebrating, um, not just today, but who we celebrate daily and, and the focus of everything that we do. And, and so let's read Isaiah 9 together, uh, starting in verse 2. Well, I'll read it. You guys can follow it along because the repeating thing is kind of weird. Let's just, anyways, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms, bloodstained by war, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity." the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. In here, we have a lot of imagery of freedom and deliverance, of promise, of hope. And in the midst of this image, there is this this promise that carries on, this promise that we have today, that people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And, And that light that we're talking about is Jesus. Uh, um, and here he's being called the Prince of Peace. And in a world filled with conflict and unrest, the idea, and it, well, and tons of injustice, the idea of a God of peace can be kind of challenging. How can God be peace? Uh, especially when sometimes the result of faith and the result of God leads to the very opposite. Uh, of the word peace. So, so how does this work? Now, the word peace used here is the word shalom, and it means the one who secures peace. Uh, it's usually used in reference to an appearance of peace between a group. Like if we were fighting and, and, and now we're not, there is shalom, there's peace, uh, or or, or the, 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 the making of peace. Uh, uh, every parent knows the feeling of waking up before your kids. You know that, you know? Ah, the peace, or how that first cup of coffee hits. Ah, that, that, that peace. But deeper embedded in the meaning of this name is this foundational peace, peace that peace brought by our restoration with God. That is that foundation of this word shalom, that we can't have peace unless God has first restored peace between himself and us. And that restoration of peace is found in Jesus. It's a looking inward of peace. It's a peace that's found in our heart. And whenever I reference heart, or heart is referenced in Scripture or in church, it's not referring to the Valentine's Day card. It was thought to be like right here, the solar plex. And it was the idea of the seat of our passions, emotions, our dreams, kind of the emotional center of who we are. If you've ever, like, you know... You, had really, really bad news and it felt like a, just a punch in the stomach. That's the idea of heart. Or we get the idea of a belly laugh. That's so joyful. It comes from right here. That's, the, that's that picture or that idea of heart. And this peace that's spoken about, the peace that we find throughout Scripture is this peace that addresses that innermost part of who we are, that innermost part of our being, the part of us that is actually full of confusion and storm. You know, our emotions, Rage and things affect the core of who we are, and this conflict that we go through, and, and, and we can generalize this conflict. This idea, first, this you know, this conflict between God and us, and how we can we might know who God is, or have the right ideas of God, but still, there could be this feeling in our heart that God is like God, and up here, and we're just like little people here, and there's this this separation, this conflict uh, of the heart, or, or the conflict of identity. Who who am I? I'm just trying to find myself, trying to find my place. Love, looking for love, and how do I find love? And, and, and then trying to be loved, and longing to be loved, and longing to give love. And how does that even work, and and what is that feeling? And we look at acceptance. Am I accepted? Am I good enough for the people around me? What do people see in me? Uh, um, even just identity, all those issues, those storms in our life, we see here that Jesus is saying, I have made peace even greater than that. Jesus is saying, I am peace. Right in our hearts, right in the middle of this storm. It is who he is. We see this written in Romans here. The author, Paul, is writing to the church in Rome, and he says this in chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So in this verse, the author is explaining, first off the bat, that anyone who believes in Jesus starts from a position of right standing with God. Kind of that first conflict. Where do I stand with God? How does God view me? Does God look at me and just see everything that I've done wrong? Does God look at me and and look at me less than? And he's like bigger than. and, 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 And it's taken care of. Because of Jesus, we are brought in right standing with God. We are on that same level. We are brought into this relationship. We're put in a position of favor and a position of peace. And so now we have peace with God. It's not something we actually need to create. It's something that is given to us. And so human nature tries to to make peace. This is kind of what we do, right? We try to fix the things and fix the situations and fix this problem and change the scenario and change the situation to create peace around us. It's kind of like we're in, obviously, the Christmas season, and one of the great Christmas traditions I'm learning, I'm Italian, and we have little different traditions, is Christmas puzzles. Does anyone do puzzles? Right? Am I the only one who does puzzles? No? Okay. So the Christmas puzzle, and and if you can picture doing a puzzle, it's like you just throw the puzzle, like, on the table, right? And and now you have all these pieces together, and and you you usually start with the edges. You can put the edges together because there's edges, but one of the key parts of doing a puzzle is actually having the box. You need to know the picture. What are you making? Yeah, what are you making, right? What am I trying to produce? And so even without the box, right, we can kind of, you know, flub around for a while, put the corners together, and then you kind of get into this position. And if you're like me, that like the, a, a good challenging puzzle is about 100 pieces, and they throw up the 1,000-piece ch- puzzle, and you're like, okay, uh, you start grabbing the pieces and you're kind of smashing them in, right? This should fit. There's obviously something wrong with this manufacturer. So I'm gonna, right? Everyone's laughing because we're relating to this, and yet this is what we're doing in life. We're trying to put the pieces together in our hearts without the picture, without the person who made the very heart. And this Prince of Peace is this invitation of the Creator of our hearts to sit with us and complete this puzzle together. He's saying, you you don't have to try to smash the pieces and make them fit because I've made them to fit. And here we are. The verse in Romans continues. It says, we can rejoice too, this is verse three, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly, God loves us, and because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with this love. So, how can he be peace and give us peace, and yet still we're called to, like, hey, we're going to have problems and we're going to have trials? How does peace and storm mix together? The promise, that this promise of peace that God gives us, is not a peace that we can create. It's not a promise that everything will go smooth. But this is what it does tell us, that we can endure the storms of our heart and the storms of our life from a position of peace, from a place of peace, from a different perspective. We can put the pieces together with the box and with the maker of the puzzle. The peace that Jesus gives us is something that we can't create. It is a miracle and it is a gift of God. It is peace where there should be no peace. If we can create peace, then we wouldn't need the Prince of Peace. If we were able to find peace, then we would already have peace. But if we look around in this world, I think we can figure out, we as people, our solutions and suggestions, they're not very good. (laughs) Yet here is this promise. Peace in the midst of the storm. God can only give it, we can try to recreate it, and we do, but it's not just, it's just not the same. Now, my family will know this. I am a a, a son of a very awesome Italian mother who makes food in ways that I don't understand, right? But there's one thing in particular my mom makes that no matter how hard we try, we can never recreate, and that is my mom's potatoes, okay? And she makes these potatoes, and I would call them, she cuts them, like, they're not wedges, but they're not squares, they're like pieces, potato pieces, right? And she does stuff, and there's herbs, and there's seasoning, and there's flavor, and she cooks them, yet this amazing thing happens when you eat these potatoes, because on the outside, they're really cooked, and you look at them, you're like, oh, and you bite it, and you're like, oh, a crunchy potato, but then all of a sudden, you also get the absolute creaminess of a perfect mashed potato, all on the bite of a little potato. It's like, is this a miracle? (laughs) Is this, no, but... And, and my mom has, has shared how she, she, she doesn't even know what she does. She's like, this is potatoes. I just make potatoes, Sam. I just make potatoes, right? And, and she, she tells Katie, my wife, and she shows my daughter Rachel, and we try to recreate these potatoes, and, and it just never works. It's just never the same. And so we can keep trying to make the potatoes, and that's fine. Yet my mom always offers to make us potatoes. Can I tell you what's better than trying to make my mom's potatoes? Is actually eating my mom's potatoes. This morning, we're given this invitation to be in peace. We can try to create peace, and maybe it might look like peace. Bits of it might taste like peace. But yet the peace that we can walk in is offered freely by God, and it's only found in him. There's this interaction that Jesus had with his disciples, There's lots. But his disciples would have known this promise in Isaiah. They would see the the promise of a Savior coming. And if you look at this verse, it it, it is the salvation from their oppressors, from their occupiers from from Rome, from the injustices done for them, done to them, and they see here is this promise of the Savior, and they were looking for a solution for the problems through war and through conflict, and yet Jesus here is talking to his disciples about his very death. He says, I am actually going to die, and the disciples know the promise is you are coming to bring freedom, and you are coming to bring peace, and this is how we bring freedom, and we bring peace, and yet Jesus brings it in a complete. Completely different way. And he tells his disciples, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Because here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This morning, we stand with a God that doesn't create peace like we create peace, but has already overcome the world so that we can know that we stand from a perspective where we know we will walk in victory. Today might not be the day that we see it, but we have this anticipation that no matter what is going on, God is good. The same author of the book of Romans would say that God works all things for the good of those who love him those he has called, which he's called all of us. And he says this, and sometimes we take this to mean that everything will be good. And the promise is not that all things will be good. Guys, this world is broken, and you don't need any more evidence of a broken world than the people in this world. I am not perfect. The people around you are not perfect. We will make mistakes. We will do bad things. And yet this is the hope that we have. In the middle of every storm, we know the Prince of Peace will work all things for the good, for our good. That beautiful word, work all thing, is the Greek word synergeo, which we get our word synergy from. And it's this picture of partnering. And as we look at this letter of Rome, this is Italian for partnering apparently (laughs) right now. And if we look at this letter to the to the church in Rome he says first you know we try and it talks about the struggle in Romans 7 of trying to do the right thing and trying to be the right person. But that could only come by believing in God. Then he says, there's no condemnation. That Jesus comes in, i have forgiven you. There's no condemnation. Then he says, I've actually given you my spirit in you that's actually interceding for you. It's partnering with you. It's praying for you. Here's your very advocate where you feel like you're not right with God. The Holy Spirit's saying, yes, you are right with God. He partners. And then Father comes along and says, God comes along and says, all those things work for our good. In the middle of the storm, we are not navigating alone, but we're navigating with this salvation and this hope that works with us, partners with us, and navigates with us. And that's the beauty of this season, because woven in everything that we say, in everything that we celebrate, and everything that we sing, is this message of the gospel that without God we would be shipwrecked. Yet he sent his son for us, not just to die for us, but he would live again so that we could live a life full of his promise, his hope of flourishing and thriving because Jesus has come and Jesus was and Jesus is today. And that is Christmas. And that is peace. Not that I can drink coffee and make peace, but even when I have none, God is still peace. Even when I can't solve this conflict, God is still peace. Even in the middle of the shipwreck, God is still peace. There's this beautiful interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. I call it beautiful. His disciples probably would not call it that. They're on a boat, and they're in a literal storm, and they are freaking out because they are not going to make it. And where is Jesus in the middle of the storm? He is sleeping on the boat. Now, I've grown up in church. I've read this story. And I've always been taught the story from this perspective. Because Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. And then we celebrate because Jesus is the storm calmer. And he is. But this morning, I want us to see something different. In the middle of the storm, before we even calm the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Guys, peace is possible before we ever figure out a solution. And God's got incredibly unique and creative solutions to the things that we're going through. It's it's fun. It's a journey. It's a different message. But this morning, know that we can have peace because Jesus is peace. So this season, we have the promise of peace that no man or woman can give us. No war will solve. It's nothing we can recreate. The promise of peace not just for the storm, but the promise of peace in the middle of the storm of our life. I'm going to call the team back up as we close with a response song. But Jesus was interacting with his disciples. His name was Peter. Having a fun conversation and he, and he looks to Peter and he says, Hey Peter, who do you say that I am? And then so Peter responds, Oh, I've heard people say this. You know, I think you're that. I've seen you do this thing. And Jesus kind of interrupts him and says, no, no, no. Peter, who do you say that I am? Or in other words, he was saying, Peter, who do you actually believe that I am? Who do you believe that I am? Not just this morning, but throughout this Advent season, we have heard who Jesus is. We've talked about Jesus as wonderful counselor. That picture of God that doesn't just sit above and watch, but gets right in the middle of our lives and doesn't just, you know, let us navigate it, but actually calls out in our hearts, in our lives, a very thing that is causing us spiritual death. He's calling out life. He is this mighty God, this beautiful picture of a God who's above it all. And Scripture says he is the beginning he is in the end. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is all of it. He was and is and forever will be. This everlasting Father, this picture of this mighty God, still his interaction with us is compassion and its grace. And now he's saying, I am also this Prince of Peace. This morning we can let it go. So many times the stumbling block to truly receiving and believing everything Jesus is is this idea that we have to figure it all out. We have to answer these questions. We need to calm this storm. This morning the invitation is is in the middle of these questions. You don't have to have all the answers but he's saying, who do you say I am? Not who do you say the church is? who do you say that Sam is? who do you say that history is? Who do, who, you know what, what does this person say? What does that organization say? He's just saying, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? So this morning, can he be your prince of peace? Can he be your hope, your peace? Can he be your joy? Can he be-